Welcome to this week's episode of It's All Fun and Games, the official GameZo podcast. I am Dan, the head writer at GameZo, this week joined by Ross, as always, and a special third guest. But before we introduce the special third guest, some housekeeping. One, like, subscribe, five-star rate it. You know, we do it at the beginning of the end every week. Just go like, subscribe, download, rate the podcast. Okay. The second thing, this, this podcast is going to be a little bit different. Traditionally, if you listen to us or watch us, we do, hey, Ross, what have you been playing? Oh, blah, blah, blah. And then we go, hey, some stuff happened this week in news. And then we go, some topic that Ross and I have very strong opinions on, followed by esports stuff. Um, this week, we are not going to do that because we are going to be Thank interviewing God. a genuine <laughs> real life indie game developer. Um, so now, with that out of the way, Leith, do you want to do, do your intro? <laughs> okay. Uh, hi, I'm Leith. I'm uh, one of the two developers that work on Starport Delta, uh, which is a space station building game that came out a month ago. Awesome. Um, yeah. We'll get you have to think about that for a second. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's like, wait. It's like, wait, how long has it been? Uh, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's funny. There's, there's so much that is sort of in the lead up to, oh my God, we've got however many days it is until you launch. Uh, and then, still working on it, so. Oh, yeah, it, we, we're keeping on going. But it, it's so funny, like, the focus is always launch week, you know? Uh, everyone talks about that first week because, you know, so many of the statistics are always based around, oh, you know, what did, how did you do in that first week and what did you do in that first week? So after that, it's like, oh, wait, no, how long has it been? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I would, I'm going to ask you a lot about, like, that whole build-up to launch week and, and everything. Um, but before we tackle that, um, Starport Delta... Um, I reviewed it. This is this is my plug. Go to the Gamezo <laughs> website. You can read the review. I rated it highly. Um, we'll get into why that might be counter to what some people have been saying. Um, but I, I think that between the work that the team's done, uh, the core gameplay, uh, the mechanics, the graphics, everything, um, I rated it well. So that's that's my opinion um, as someone who Thank enjoys the that, game. The yeah, no problem. <laughs> um, the other thing is we have we have the chat going. We're not going to let the chat ask you whatever they want okay um we have maybe, maybe a filter chat questions yeah yeah so we'll leave that we'll leave that there but i do want to i do want to mention it's not an australian accent okay it's a new zealand accent we, are, we, we already yes. got we already got one comment this episode will do well due to the australian accent no it's not it this is, is why the chat's always emoji only yeah <laughs> but we actually we have we have paul the uh, the owner of gamezo today moderating so um yeah we trust him yeah no, australia and new zealand are in fact different places yes. yeah you know I, it was funny i was listening to and we had a 20 minute conversation about how awesome new zealand is but i was listening to a podcast like a year ago and this dude went and he visited australia and then he hopped over to new zealand to do some vacationing and he was surprised that like you guys wouldn't take the money and i was like well they're two different <laughs> they're two different countries like what are <laughs> why are you surprised you know so I mean, it's it's probably not as as unheard of. I mean, you look at Europe, and who you know, most of them take the euro. So I, I guess you know, it's not completely out of the realms. But yes, they are different countries with different currencies. Spoiled yeah. Europeans, yeah, of course. Yeah. So up front, give us. You know, you mentioned okay, you worked on Starport Delta. It's a two person team. We're going to dig more into the dynamics of that as we go. Um, but sure. give give the people the rundown. What is Starport Delta? You know, what kind of game is it? Where can they play it? 
Um, so Starport Delta is a, a space station building game. Um, it's kind of, we, we kind of call it a light strategy. Uh, you know, there's, there's only two of us. So as much as we wanted to, uh, we can't exactly go and build a 4X or, uh, you know, something that has uh, masses and masses of, of depth, like a city skylines or what have you. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's it's got a campaign and, um, you know, sandbox modes for kind of free play and, and that sort of stuff. And there's a surprising amount of depth to it in the sense of how you design and build things your own way um, can make a big difference. Uh, you know, we've got a few players that have been playing it for hundreds of hours already, and that kind of blows my mind a little bit. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, it's available on Steam. Um, it's also up on Humble Store and Green Man Gaming. Although at the end of the day, it's a Steam key. Uh, you can buy it from us direct as well, for that matter. But it's a, it's still a Steam key. Um, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of hard. Uh, one of the things you're talking about, you know, what is it? Uh, one thing that we've had a lot is uh, what seems to be kind of like genre confusion, mm-hmm. you know. And there's uh, fundamentally, it's kind of a city builder game. Um, but it's you know got elements of strategy or puzzle or tower defense and these sorts of things to it, and I think that confuses a lot of people. Um, and <laughs> you know we've had a lot of players coming in thinking it's a forex and then going, why is this not a forex? Uh, and the reason for that is because it's just two of us and we couldn't uh, build it without it taking ten years. Um, <laughs> of course. So. <laughs> um, you know, it's it's been amazingly kind of complimentary and scary having people say, "Wow, this is this has better graphics than Stellaris," and we're like, "Wait, wait, hang on, you're using Stellaris as your benchmark here? Like, this, there's something wrong with this picture." You know, that's that's an amazing game, but it also has you know hundreds of people and millions of dollars behind it, um, and is a much bigger, much bigger thing uh, than what we'd set out to achieve. Uh, so, it, it has been very interesting. Just yeah, the, the genre thing in particular has we we were like oh well it's you know it's a city builder, um, but at the same time it's it's kind of not you know like a lot of people that play a lot of city builders you know your city skylines or your sim city or what have you uh, there's a lot more really oddly specific depth in terms mm-hmm. of you know transportation and and side quests effectively uh, that happen in those sorts of games. Um, and that hasn't uh, when they kind of realize, oh, that that's not what this is. Uh, they get a bit um, annoyed. <laughs> yeah, I, I can see that, right? And not like genres seem to be so like very like people they'll see a genre and they'll say like, okay, that's an FPS. And then if you yeah are missing one core mechanic or you add some new mechanic that they're not used to, it kind of can like freak them out a little bit. Um, yeah. But for me, I, that's what I liked about Starport Delta is like, I've played a ton of city skylines um, and I just like, it was nice to have a game where those mechanics were there, but like you said, there were also some tower defense and just general strategy elements to it that weren't just like, Oh, my sewer lines are backed up. And like, I, like I don't need to be managing a city budget and, and that type of stuff. Sometimes I just want to build a, a sprawling, cool thing and and deal deal yep. with other stuff. Um, now, I don't I don't know if you remember this, but I remember it you know vividly. Um, you probably met with way more people at PAX than I did. Um, I met with a lot of people, but you guys had a booth, and I I don't, I don't know if I'd bid on that. <laughs> I I had appointments, um, but right at the end of the interview, I was like, okay, so what do you have? Like a small team of ten. 
right? And you 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 already mentioned this. You said no, it's two, and I was just like, what the? We try not to swear here. <laughs> F. I was like, I, like this game has a, a number of mechanics that I would not expect from a team of two. So, how long did you guys work on it? Uh, two years. Um, okay. Yeah, it was almost almost two years when we launched, um, and most of that has been part time. Uh, you know, we we both have full time gigs uh, doing other stuff, and uh, this has been a, a project we've been you know self funding and uh, just trying to get off the ground. Um, and yeah, it, it, it was it was really weird. I think the first time we did packs last year, and you know we had people asking us about the team, and we're like, no, no. These these two people at the booth, we are the team. Um, and one, they were they were surprised about the size of the team, but also they were surprised that it was actually us at the booth, which was really funny. It was like, oh no, you, well, I, I guess it kind of makes sense in the sense if you go to Nintendo or what have you, it's PR people at mm-hmm. the booth. You know, it's not Nintendo developers at the booth. Um, so that the people that you're talking to are, are giving you a, a pitch about, you know buying something or here's a swag or, or what have you. Whereas you go to the, any of the indie section, I think, and, and chances are the people behind the desk are the people that made the game. And I think that that makes it a, a much different conversation. But yeah, there was a lot of surprise about, oh yeah, it's a you know, small team of 10. You know, it's like, no, 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 small team when you're in New Zealand speak is, is you know, <laughs> one or two people. Um, so yeah. Yeah, it, makes sense. It has been, has been quite interesting. And as I said, you know, uh, Ian, who does uh, all of the, the making it pretty factor, um, has had a, a lot of compliments about the game. And the the flip side of that, though, has seemed to have been that people don't believe that it's just two people that made it. Uh, they look at the graphics that he's done, and it, it, it does look great. And they're like, ah, oh, this is clearly made by a team of 10 or 20 or whatever it is. It's like, no, no, it's that, that guy right there. <laughs> That, that one that one person yeah and two, two things you mentioned there that i think like are really true and people don't understand and this is why ross always teases me he's like you have the biggest heart for indie developers and i do i, I, I love i love indie developers but it's it's for many reasons and one of them is what you mentioned it's when you go and you talk to somebody about the game you know i went to um who was a tiny build right the, mm-hmm. they're the ones with all the orange and, and stuff yeah. they were like here's all of our indie games and it was like the pr guy and he was great and the games were cool and then they brought me into a booth and they were like would you like a free massage here's a bunch of swag and i was like <laughs> no i want to talk more about the games you know but I, I i go to you i go to some of the other you know smaller indie booths and it's the developer or it's someone who is directly connected to the game and not a producer or a pr person or something like that and you learn a lot more about the games because you know you're talking to the people who make the games which is important and then i think the other important thing you mentioned there is the I don't know what this is about the gaming community in general, but like everybody feels like every developer and I, I blame AAA games for this, but I feel like a lot of gamers think every developer is trying to pull the wool down, you know, like every developer is lying about something. Oh, the graphics are beautiful. No, it can't be two people. Oh, you know, whatever um, the case is. So yeah, I I think that's, you know, that is what I, I, I think it's interesting because you know there's there's no real scale in in game development. You know, you're either AAA or you're indie, mm-hmm. uh, and you get the odd studio who kind of tries to build themselves as AA or or something. And but you know, really from a player standpoint, you know, there's no way to tell you know who built it uh, unless you go go look at the credits and or it's a company you already know. 
and it's it's been really weird talking to people uh, or reading you know comments and, and discussions and stuff and you know when they find out that it's two people that made it there's this like weird 180 of attitude mm-hmm. where they go wait hang on hang on this is an indie game wait I, I I thought this was you know somewhere up at that you know AAA end of the spectrum, and I'm just, and and it, it's weird because I look at that and I understand and I'm like okay well if I was thinking this was a team made by a team of 200 people I'd be like yeah, and and where's the rest of it, mm-hmm. um, and but when I look at it and go no no it's it's a team of two um you know this is something that it takes a lot more effort to to produce so. Uh, it, it has been interesting how much that's impacted people's expectations, I think, is probably what it is. Uh, you know, when you expect something from, you know, Blizzard or EA or, or whatever, you know, you're not going to expect to sit down and, and have a, you know, 10 hours of gameplay or, or whatever it is. You're expecting, you know, something massive or multiplayer or, you know, hundreds of hours of, of time that you could sink into it. Um so yeah, it's 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 very weird, and I think that uh, you know we're, it's that classic trope of we're developers, not marketing people. Mm-hmm. So you know we we have no idea what we're doing about how to sell the game. Um, and I think that in retrospect, one thing that we didn't do very well uh, was explain that it is just the two of us. Yeah, uh, you know, like it's funny. Like I, I kind of think back, and I'm like, okay, there are other indie developers are looking at it's really obvious you know you look at their their marketing copy or whatever it's like yeah this is the team of two people or whatever it is as part of their their story and i don't think we told that story very well um because people came into it thinking we were a lot bigger than we were yeah and like you said that's that's a compliment to you guys but it's also like it's infuriating and i took that in my review i took that into account and i think people have to do, yeah. you have to do that right like you said you have to take all of the information together and look at it and you know you can't review for instance like um, i always use the example i did i did a review of a sim racing cockpit right and it's an entry-level cockpit and it's an excellent it's like if if we were looking at only entry-level sim racing cockpits it's a 10 out of 10 but there's like a whole market of like things that move and have like full force feedback and like so you have to rate it in that regard but when you look at an indie game, you can look at the landscape of indie games and you can look at other games that had similar sized teams and how much they were able to get out of it. And, you know, for two people to get that compliment that you're a bigger team, that's great. Um, as long as it's taken into account. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, it is. It, it, it's, it's both, as you say, it's, it's a compliment that it's infuriating because I think it, it says that their expectations are a lot higher than we thought they would be um uh, but also it says that well we're doing good enough work with what we're doing that that's the the level of comparison um so it it is very much a compliment and we take it as such um but it's also uh yeah i I do wish that we had more of that kind of taken into account um but but at the end of the day though in some respects it doesn't matter you know indie or or not you're still competing Mm-hmm. in a, a landscape with AAA games. And particularly at the moment, you know, there's a lot of really excellent AAA and successful indie titles from a few years ago that have been heavily discounted or given away um, to help support people um, through the, the COVID lockdown stuff. So, you know, there's a lot of really awesome stuff coming out and uh, that makes it kind of an interesting time to, to launch a game as well. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunate for sure. 
Um, do you feel like since you can't sort of put yourself in the category of game devs with teams of two people or single A or indie, like, there's no way for you to kind of really market yourself up against others is that do you feel like um how am i going to word this do you feel like the price point you may have put yourself at sort of kind of put the expectation like hey this is more than a team of two people not to say anything about obviously like how you value your game or anything like that but a lot of say quote-unquote indie games i don't know if you know the conversion to american dollars but usually you know 14, 19, that's kind of like the realm where they sit at. So mm-hmm. I noticed a lot of kind of, because I did some research in the reviews and stuff like that for the game, and a lot of people were just like, oh, at this price point, you know, I expect XYZ and stuff like that. And D... Yeah, so price prices, I mean, pricing anything, games or not, is kind of a black art, I think, um, and that's kind of tricky. It it's It's one of those things that we talked about with a lot of players throughout development, and you know, it was really interesting last year at PAX, uh, the the first time we went. The um, you know that was one of our questions. You know, because this was it was earlier in development, and we were like, okay, you know, with the content we've got right now, and and this is people who hadn't played any of the campaign content, um, and they were just playing one of the sandbox modes basically. Um, and they're like, okay, you know, what do you think? What what would be the price point? And you know, most of them came back in and said, yeah, it's about the fourteen. Uh, 14.99 or whatever it is us and we were like yep that sounds about right for where we were at in development and originally uh we were hoping to get more funding and and make it bigger um a bigger game and that would have pushed the price point up a bit more um uh but price yeah pricing's hard you know like when when we were talking to people at pax this year uh and saying you know okay this is what we're thinking in terms of the price point um because it was still before launch and we still could have changed it to be whatever um you know most people that we talked to was like yeah you know that that seems about right and um i think that there's also a lot of discussion um that we've had with other developers where people like be very very careful about uh, the race to the bottom in terms of pricing. Um, you know, indie games have this in spades because they're like, oh, well, I'm making this platformer and, you know, this other platformer sold at, you know, $14.99, so I'm going to make mine $13.99. Everyone will buy it. Uh, no, that's not really how pricing works. Um, but there's also a, a kind of odd thing that happens with that where, you know, if your starting point is, is 15 bucks. And, you know, the reality is most people buy stuff when it's the Steam sales. You know, it's the summer sale or the winter sale or whatever. And if you start at 15 and you discount by 40% or whatever it is, you know, plus then you take out Valve's cut and whatever else you're having to pay for, you know, by the time you kind of get to the end of that, you're like, you're making like two bucks. Uh, and the I've had a lot of developers caution us and say, look, don't undervalue your game because most of the units you shift will be in a sale and you need to make sure that the value that you're providing uh, actually comes out the other end of that, even with a discount. And Mm -hmm. I think that uh, there's some really interesting discussions from a few developers who are like, you know, players are really spoiled uh, today. And you look, you look at kind of the equivalent price point that uh, 
uh, we were paying. I say we because I do remember this um, for games, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Um, and say, okay, well, if you if you added inflation and all the rest of it, uh, you know, what would you be paying for games today? And it's ridiculous. Like it's it's a it's a really really high price point. And on the one hand, I think it's good. Um, I think that people should be paying less because we don't have physical distribution as a mandatory thing anymore. And you know, there's a lot of indie games where you're not having to pay for you know a thousand people making a game. So you know, there's this sort of just sheer scale of economics there. Uh, but on the other hand, I do think things like uh, the mobile market in particular, where you've got f- lots of free games that are paid for by advertising or games that are a dollar, uh, it means that a lot of players don't value games the same way. You know, like I, I kind of look at it as uh, how much do you pay to go to the movies, right? You know, I, I don't know what the average price ticket is in the States, but... Um, oh, God. Ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. All right, okay, so for people to go, go to, actually go to the cinema and don't just, you know, Netflix it, you know, what, um, what, what would you pay to, to go and, and see a movie? Uh, at least, I mean, minimum, like, not matinee, just, like, just, just a minimum... Just, just the ticket, just the ticket, not, none of the concessions and the rest of it, just, okay, just yeah. the ticket. Like, 15 bucks a person is pretty pretty average. Yeah. Okay, so you, you pay 15 bucks for essentially two hours of entertainment mm-hmm. on average, right? So I, I kind of use this as, as my mental benchmark and say, okay, if, if I'm paying, if I'm quite happy to pay 15 bucks to sit and watch a movie for two hours, uh, what does that mean for a game that I'm going to play for at least 10 hours? You know, like what, what value am I, am I getting out of that? And that's something which is interactive. It's something where I get to choose and, and have more influence. So, you know, you, you take that into consideration and you look at some of the games where people have sunk hundreds of hours into them and you're like, man, you are totally getting your money's mm-hmm. worth out of that $60 game or whatever it is, right? And it's been really interesting because this was a big factor for us talking about pricing for us and saying, okay, well, if we've got a campaign, uh, you know, and it's, it's a relatively short campaign, but the difficulty does ramp up and it does, you know, go through all the mechanics and, and teach you how to do things and... Then we've got a bunch of different sandbox modes and challenge modes, and and you know you can easily sink ten hours into that mm-hmm. to have like a, a a reasonable crack at just trying things out, like little let alone you know delving into really trying to to build stuff. Like even just trying everything out, you could easily spend ten hours easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, can, I we do kind of look at that and go, okay, well, you use your movie benchmark and say, well this is about the value you're getting in terms of your time. And obviously, you know, the market has a different opinion about uh, games should cost this much or that much. Um, and there's, we've had a couple of reviews definitely uh, where they've said this doesn't feel like the right, right price point. And we do definitely take that into consideration and be like, yeah, uh, you might be right. Um, and I think that what that'll mean is when it comes around to uh, the summer sale or the winter sale and it's you know 40% off or 50% off or whatever percentage it is that we decide to throw at steam for this um, people will probably be happier with it um, you know they'll they'll look at it and say okay you know it's a it's a $25 game and I'm I'm getting it for less than 20 bucks uh, this feels good mm-hmm. you know this feels like uh, a good deal or a good price point or, or what have you um, so you know, it's it's hard. Uh, I think pricing anything is hard, and 
particularly games is a is a weird weird landscape for pricing mm, yeah for sure um, but like dan and i both think that 60 for triple a games is way too low in the current landscape of things absolutely absolutely like some of those games man like i look at them and it's like this is 60 is 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 a bargain <laughs> like you're you're kidding me like you it should be at least 100 oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's what I, I was actually—I was—I was gonna say that you know, easy is—I have that opinion of all kinds of stuff. We—I think we talked on the last podcast about like Final Fantasy VII remake, and I was like, yeah. if you gave me like this for 120 bucks, happy, like I'm—I'm I'm good, you know. And I think indie games, like you said, they undervalue themselves a lot. They race to the bottom. You—you you get these like ten dollar experiences, and you're like, what are you doing, guy? You're—you're lo- you're losing a bunch of money. Um, but people are spoiled, like you said, and they, they're trained for like 60, 15, you know, yeah. a dollar, like depending on where it sits. Indie's really hard in that respect because they're not business people by and large. You know, like we, it's that trope of, you know, the, the indie developer that goes and makes a game and then goes, right, I've made a game. How do I sell it? Mm-hmm. You know, and part of that is is pricing. And it, it's this... I don't. I don't think any of them are really wedded to the well. I can't afford rent lifestyle. Uh, you know, it's a nobody really likes that. Um, but there's a weird sort of expectation. I think that you're never going to make any money as an indie developer. Um, then that gets reflected in this idea that well, it's an indie game, therefore I should only pay ten dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there's been some amazing indie games that I, I've I've played that I look at and I'm just like this should be twice the price that it is, you know. And I don't understand it. And some of it they're probably just relying on scale. Uh, you know, when you're a ten dollar game or or what have you, you're at that tipping point where people are okay with paying that. Uh, so there's a degree of volume I think that goes through that, and you're not going to get. Um, maybe as many refunds or as many people kind of having, as you say, kind of higher expectations because they look at it and say, well, you know, even if it was made by a team of 20 people, if they're only putting a $10 price tag on it, uh, they don't have their own expectations about what kind of value or content they're, they're putting into it. And it's weird because they look at it and they're like, yeah, a team of 20 people is so tiny. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you would, you would like, die. You would die to uh, 10 extra team. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's just like when it, when it, that TX is the team. I was just like, yeah, that that's that's not small when you're on the other side of that uh, equation. So, yeah. Yeah, so with sure. your team size in, um, with that in mind, if if I could give you any size team, any funding you wanted, can you give me like the top three things you would love to add to your game that you just can't in your current situation, or even one? That's fine. <laughs> Uh, for, for this game in particular, um, probably the biggest thing that I think we talked about that we really wanted to do was the campaign. Like when, so last year we spent a lot of time talking to publishers and trying to, you know, get funding and, and, you know, part of that was going to be expanding the team and, and what would we put in and that sort of stuff. So we've had a lot of discussions around this and, um, the biggest one, I think, was the campaign. We really wanted to make it longer and you know, make sure that all of the mechanic stuff was in the tutorials slightly differently than how we have it now. Um, but it was... Yeah, it, I think that it's depth. You know, like, when there's only two of us, you know, we're like, okay, it's a, it's a light strategy. You know, it's something that 
realistically, if you're a casual player, you can pick it up and play it. And, you know, we've had people who get into Zen mode and build these ridiculously large stations, you know, uh, or they'll just sit and play it for a few hours. And it's it's easy enough to get into uh, without needing to learn, like, hundreds of little mechanics and things. And as you say, you know, your, your sewage backed up somewhere. Uh, there are no roads in space to have to deal <laughs> with. Uh, so... You know, it's it's a different kind of thing, um, but you know what we really wanted to do was was just add add the depth. You know, the, when there's only two of you, you can't make the galactic domination four uh, x of you know Stellaris or what have you. You know, uh, but you know we really wanted to make something in that direction that was still kind of accessible by more players. And uh, I think what we really wanted to do was just have more. It's it's just more of what we're doing right now and. That's what I think funding or more people or what have you would have done for us. I mean, we have enough ideas about this game to fill two more games if we wanted to, you know, or one really, really, really big game. Mm -hmm. um, and it's a fascinating process at the start with, you know, uh, brainstorming, you know, in, in that kind of pre-production phase where you're like, okay, this is the idea right now. Now that we've kind of gone past the, Yes, we're going to do this. Like, what? What are the actual mechanics? What are the, what's the storyline that we want to want to tell? You know, uh, how do we want to do this? And there's always too much. Like, ideas are never a problem. And yeah. I I think most indie developers are like this. Like, you you you, you talk to them and like, hey, what's your backlog of ideas? <laughs> <You know? laughs> and even for any given game that you make, there's always more stuff that you want to put into it that you don't have time for. So it's a tricky question in the sense of there's always more. Uh, and it's really, for us, we look at it and go, okay, well, maybe we'll put this in a sequel or maybe a, an expansion pack or, or something because realistically, we couldn't do it with just the two of us. And I think if you had a bigger team, if you had a bigger budget, uh, I do wonder sometimes if you have just the same problem on a bigger scale. You know, it's, it's that, sure, we put in all this stuff, but we've still got these ideas for even bigger things that we would love to do if we had more time or more money or whatever it is, you know, nobody's going to give you an unlimited budget and, uh, unlimited team size. So, uh, a time, honestly, like even if you, even if you scaled up the team and the budget, you still got to release something. You still got to get it out the door. So, uh, yeah, just, I think just more, uh, more of what we're doing, more, more upgrades, more, recipes for how we build things more campaign content um that was that was really i think what we were looking at adding in i actually i had uh you met you started talking about it a little bit but this is this fascinates me probably the most about um not triple a games um i guess it probably follows a similar process just way more bureaucracy but can you walk us through like what it's like when you start the seed is planted in your mind about this game you want to you know, I'm assuming it's a game you wanted to play, right? Most people don't make a game they don't want to play. Um, you know, what does it look like from that initial, like, man, you know what I'd really like to play? Starport Delta, or whatever it was <laughs> at that point in your head, through, like, conceptualizing it, through to getting Ian to join, right? Through to, like, actually deciding to, okay, we're, we're, we're doing this. Like, what, what does that pre-we're-doing-this phase look like? Well, okay, so it's a bit... So Ian and I have been working together outside of games for quite a long time. And we've also been making kind of prototypes and, and talking about game ideas for you know almost as long. Um, 
so we've got other other kind of prototypes and things that we've worked on that have not quite got off the ground for for various reasons um and you know part of that discussion i guess initially when we were when the last when the last the last, so the last project that we worked on we kind of got to the point where we were like actually this is too big and this this was this was the big reason why we stopped um and we realized that we hadn't planned out as much as we should have and we kind of started it with the hey we let's put together a prototype to get it to this local convention and just see what we can do and just kind of ran with it uh and that was fun but uh yeah we we kind of got to the point where we were like this needs to be a team of 20 people if we're gonna actually uh do this justice and not take another decade and be out of place in the market um so when we stopped and we kind of took a break for a bit and then we're like, okay, right. Uh, as I said, we've got like a whole backlog of ideas, you know, what are the things we want to do? So we look at our ideas list and we say, right, what are the things we think are feasible? Um, you know, what, what can the two of us make? Uh, and also part of it is looking at the market and saying, okay, get our prognosticator hat on and say, <laughs> what do we think is going to be, uh, you know, something the market wants in, you know, the next couple of years. Um, and at the time, there was not as many space games um and we've seen over the last uh six months in particular we've had uh quite a few awesome space games come out um and we've had some some interesting interestingly some space base building type games as well or things that have a a city building element to them um even if it's not necessarily a, a science fiction aesthetic um so i think we 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 were spot on in terms of people want this kind of game and you know some of our reviews and things have been like ah oh, there are not enough space station building games and there's not enough of this kind of thing in in the market and and that's really hard to predict right it's really hard to look at the market and say where's the gap especially when you've got such a big bleed time it's not like you're churning this out over a weekend um so there's that degree of what are we predicting um will be successful uh, or not necessarily successful but what do people want and you know people talk about the market cycles well there's pirates and then there's ninjas and then there's pirates again mm -hmm. you know like it, and that's very true like as 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 hilarious as that is like you can absolutely see waves of these themes that come through in games and so reading that a little bit and saying okay what do we want to make um the core idea um, it usually starts off for us as like a, a single sentence. Usually that's that, what's the, the 10 second pitch or what have you. Um, and, you know, for us, it was, it was, we wanted something that was an accessible sim city in space, you know, like we wanted something that was, yeah, we've played a lot of strategy games and a lot of silly builder games. Um, so strategy was a big part of it. And, um, you know, we wanted to to make something that would would do that, and we we saw some really cool kind of not necessarily city builder, but sort of strategy stuff that had come out a few years ago, and we were like, this is kind of cool, but not quite what we want. You know, not quite what we would like to play. Uh, so, absolutely, there's a degree of you start off trying to build something that you want to play, um, but I think that it also needs to be tempered a little bit by what do other people want to play. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, we had a build of the game after a week of development uh, that we took to a, a local uh, convention here in New Zealand um, called Armageddon. 
And, you know, we're, as part of the New Zealand Game Developers Association booth, uh, there's a bunch of different, you know, indie games that you can try out that are work in progress and that sort of stuff. It's, it's good times. But we had our, our first build of that after a week. Uh, and so, because we, we were like, look, as much as we like games, as much as we want to make the game that we want to play, we want to know what players want to play. Uh, so we've done that. Yeah, taking it out and you know having hundreds of people play the game uh, makes a big difference. And you know, as early and as often as possible, getting it in, in players' hands over the course of development, and that was part of why we went to PAX as well. You know, like that's a incredibly concentrated way to get some amazing players come through and give you some feedback on on what they think. Uh, so, yeah, in terms of the process, though, it's you start with a like a one liner, uh, and then a huge amount of brainstorming, uh, and then cut it all cut it all the way back to okay, what do we think we can realistically make, mm-hmm. uh, and then cut it back again because you're overestimating it. Uh, then it's okay out of the stuff which you think is realistic as the whole game. What's your kind of minimum prototype for your game loop? Uh, and that was that week of development thing. That's okay. What's the game loop? Let's make it. Let's get it in the hands of players. Uh, and then it's rearranging your to-do list for a very long time uh, until you get to release, basically. Yeah. So it, it's funny. You know, I was waiting for you to say minimum viable product. I was like, yes, here we go. We're 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 we're, we're in software product management. Let's get it. Um, so I'm, I'm glad you called it a, a prototype in the loop. And and for people that don't understand, kind of like agile development and lean methodology, which I'm assuming is what you're kind of working I'm towards. I'm very very okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the whole concept is you get your most minimal core concept, and then you iterate off of that you want to fail fast and, yeah. and keep going right so um Absolutely. so that's just kind of like ross and i are like yes we get what you're saying but for for people that might not be as kind of wrapped into that world um i do i have a question and i, I noticed this is the game you were alluding to rampage arena per chance <laughs> yes yeah yeah so that, okay. that was that was the one that um we had parked so we we spent about a year on that um and it was the same thing you know we we had uh, the New Zealand Game Developers Association was like, oh, you know, we'd love some more games for our next um, booth. And uh, at the time, the next convention was like six weeks away. And kind of Ian and I looked at each other and went, yeah, we could do something in six weeks. Um, and this is, again, this is part time. So it effectively adds up to about a week of development. Um, and uh, yeah, we, we put it together based on another game prototype uh, that we'd made um a few years ago and but we wanted to make it you know bigger and multiplayer and a bunch of other stuff uh and yeah you know it was it was really well received um and i think a lot of people had a lot of fun with it and i I would still like to to kind of revisit that but it's it's too big right now um and i think we'd either have to slim it down uh so that it was manageable uh which i think might kind of just kill it in terms of the audience Mm. um or yeah, wait, wait until we can scale up. Uh, yeah, yeah. When I was doing some research and stuff um, back when I did the preview on Starport Delta, and then before at the review of Starport Delta, mm-hmm. I like went in and I watched that that game. And when you said we had another game, I was like, I had to go to your website. I was like, I, there was this cool game, and it looked like it was like Rollerball <laughs> meets like Rocket League. I was like, yeah. that, that's got to be the one that was too big because it it looked super fun, but I could see like that's just like a, it's gonna yeah, take a, a team. It was. It was hilarious because, you know, as I said, it was based on an earlier game, which was a single player one, which is, think, kind of 
really early GTA where you kind of had the ball rolling around the city and you'd smash into things and roll over people and, and they'd kind of explode in puffs of uh, smoke or whatever. And, um, yeah, it, and, and the prototype that we made for that was a lot of fun, but there was all kinds of other problems with it. So um, it kind of got shelved. And we're like, oh, we can revisit this because it's still a lot of fun. And you know, Rocket League was was starting to you know really take off. And um, the the funniest thing I think talking to people about Rocket League is they're like, at the end of the day, Rocket League is soccer, you know, like, but nobody really plays it because they like soccer. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they play it because they like the the cars and the smashing things around and all this sort of stuff. And it's it's uh, we were looking at that and like, let's just let's just remove the. Uh, the soccer thing and just make it people smashing into each other with the, these balls. And um, it was, it was so funny because we had all these ideas around, Oh, we were going to make it like a literal, uh, you know, post-apocalyptic arena with, you know, little prisoners running. You, I don't know if you saw the, was it the movie was gamer or something? And yeah. you know, they had the, the prisoners running around in the arena or whatever. And mm-hmm. we were thinking of having this and you'd roll over the prisoners and go, ah, whatever. <laughs> so we, we were thinking like a, a much more mature audience to start with. And we didn't have, interestingly, we didn't have time. We didn't have time to add any of that in to that first prototype that we took to, to Armageddon. And, uh, so it was just just the small arena and the ball smashing into each other and, and what have you. And the funniest thing about that experience is that the the median age of our players was probably ten. You know, we we went into this expecting that we were making a kind of you know post high school uh, you know almost R eighteen kind of uh, end of the spectrum. And yeah, the, probably the median age was ten. We had we had kids as young as I think four or five playing the game. Uh, and because it was multiplayer and because it's a convention, you get family come along and, and, you know, listening to the mum going, go Timmy, smash daddy, you know, <laughs> is, uh, is just hilarious. Um, but it also meant that, you know, Ian and I sat there and went, um, we may need to pivot our thinking a little bit here and go, okay, why do you, why is this attractive to parents and, and to kids? And, and, you know, they pick up the controller and it, it takes them, you know, four, four seconds to learn how to play. Um, and, that had a real advantage, I think. Um, and I think that taught me personally a lot about uh, explaining things at a convention is very different um, and getting people to learn how to play a game at a convention is very different from you know sitting down in your own home and, and learning how to play a game. And that made a... It actually made Starport Delta kind of an interesting case because it's a horrible game to, to have at a convention. Um, <laughs> You know, anything, any, and I, I think this is probably true of any strategy game, but anything when you have to learn a lot um, or you have to understand some complex chain of uh, dependencies or mechanics in order to really delve into how it works, uh, you're not going to pick it up for five minutes, understand it, play it, move on. And a lot of conventions, that's, that's what you're after. You're after that quick experience. And whereas for Starport and definitely a lot of other strategy titles as well it's um or you know simulation type stuff as well it's you've got to be there for half an hour to really understand what you're looking at yeah um so it it was really funny that you know we picked this game and we were like oh this is actually really horrible uh for a convention because it's it's not convention friendly (laughs) at all (laughs) it's like a speed dating experience you're trying to get the meaningful relationship (laughs) yeah yeah absolutely and uh that that made it really um really challenging we had to get our uh, explanations and stuff very, very fast. <laughs> so that kind of goes into another thing that I was going to ask you is you have Starport Delta, 
launched. You have your ideas that you want to work on, but then you also have these other prototypes that are just sort of sitting around and you're kind of like, oh, you know, maybe these would be good someday. At what point does working on Starport Delta sort of get, I don't want to say in the way, but when does it become, since you're only two people, you're doing this part-time, when does this become, uh, I really want to do this, but we have to work on this content that we're doing for this, or we have to fix this bug that I, that we've been working on for like a week. And you have all this other stuff. And like, at what point do you just kind of say, you know, we've committed so much into this right now. Um, Let's, let's shift into this next thing that we want to work on. Uh, Prioritize that is kind of what I'm sort of asking. Yeah, yeah, good question. Um, don't know. We're still in the throes of working that out. Um, there's a degree of, I mean, w- we've got a lot of different projects and things that we want to look at. And, um, you know, definitely we've got uh, a few specific ideas that, that we've kind of narrowed down for what's coming next. And uh, it, it's hard. I, I think that Starport, uh, originally the idea was that we'd be able to step away from this being as part-time as it is. So whether that's just still part-time, but, you know, more hours that we're able to put into it, um, you know, as long as there was enough money to, to kind of fund us working on it. Um, so the idea was that we wouldn't have to split our attention as much with an incredibly limited time resource. Um so we're still trying to work out what that means right now and we're still you know doing updates and and balancing and and listening to what people are saying i've added another couple of languages already um you know there's yeah it it's going to be tricky i think we'll probably it'll it'll have kind of ebbs and flows you know we were put we've put out i think i don't even know like a lot of updates uh since launch um but there's we'll probably have to just slow that down i think uh and say right we'll we'll need to if we're going to start the next thing or start even if the next thing is a dlc or a big content update for starport later on that we're wanting to you know add it at a really specific time or whatever it is uh we'll need to yeah i think we'll need to split it so that we've got okay you know fix bugs first you know, make sure that you've got things working for people because that gets really annoying. Um, some stuff I, is going to be hard because uh, things like upgrading the engine version is is really hard because um, you've got you know plugins and and changes that you don't anticipate breaking things. Um, and right now, that's a particularly irritating one for me because there's some stuff which is really broken in. Uh, the version of the engine we're using, and it won't. It, it will be fixed as soon as we upgrade, but it's it's like saying, okay, my I have a flat tire. I'm going to replace my car, you know. Uh, and even though you need to do it, it's uh, a lot of work to to replace the car instead of uh, just the flat tire. So, uh, yeah, it. I don't know. Is the ultimate answer that I think that we're there's it's a bal- it is a balancing game, um, and we're going to have to say, look, we're going to spend this much time on this, and and uh, you know try and allocate what we can to the next thing. And part of that will also be looking at other kinds of funding, um, if we can get some funding from something for the next project. So it's you know sending out applications, or um, you know once we've got uh, a prototype, people like prototypes because they can play it. 
mm. um, mm. you know, once we've got something people can play and look at and go, oh, that's some pretty art and a, a good idea. Let's see where they can go with it. Um, that'll be a bit different, I think, because then we'll be able to say, right, we've got this funding that'll pay for our time to do this next project, and then we can keep just doing the, the starport updates and stuff on the side, and uh, that'll be less of a deal, I think. Makes sense. I have two 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 questions. One's quick, one's longer. Um, I just want to do a time check and make sure you're still good to keep going I'm for good. a little bit longer. Okay. Um, and then the, the second question is, um, it's partially a statement and then it's a question so the statement is i I commend you guys Uh, i've never seen a game uh ross and i have this thing right the the developers we hear you right and they never (laughs) do right but you (laughs) but you guys have done every review you guys respond to on steam uh in the discord if someone brings something up i'm in the discord you got you guys you know mention either didn't know didn't see that thanks for bringing it up or i'm already working on it and you guys have put out like just a disgusting amount of patches to stuff like i don't know like you said i don't know what version you're on it might be like 1.80 at this point um it's, it's <laughs> Not insane quite that much, but yeah, yeah it, it's, it's a lot yeah so from that perspective post-launch the game comes out let's ignore critical acclaim or declaim i don't know what the appropriate word would be like who cares what the critics think the player base yeah. is there they start playing you start getting feedback um was it always a plan it sounds like it was but was it always a plan to prioritize that and just like keep chunking away at issues and improvements to the game or was that something that you guys on the fly saw okay there's a few bugs we missed there's some quality of life things like no absolutely i mean like i said about the the process for development is has been very player centric you know it it's it's always been get it in players hands as, as often as we can and see what they think and uh during development you know we didn't really have anything that came out of left field and said, oh, that we totally should add that in. We didn't think of that at all. You know, as I said, like the first thing we do is have this massive brainstorm session. So really during development, it was always about essentially reshuffling the to-do list. So you go to a, you know, and we did this sometimes, excuse me, between days of conventions as well. You know, on the first day, if you get 10 people telling you the same thing, you're like, okay, let's see if we can do something about that. And sometimes if it was something really small, we could do it overnight or do it at the hotel or wherever it was. Um, And the next day at the convention, we'd get completely different feedback. Um, And it was absolutely always the intention that at launch, we would be monitoring as much as we could and putting in as much as we could because we knew that it didn't matter how many people we had in the alpha or the beta once it goes out into the market, you know, you're always going to get different hardware, different personalities, different things that are going to come back that you can't get when you have a kind of self-selecting group of people at a convention or from a mailing list or, or what have you, you know, it's a, so we always knew there was going to be all kinds of stuff uh, coming back at us that we would not encounter. So we wanted to be as on top of it as possible. I've gained so much sympathy for you and developers when I went through and read the forums and this guy is asking how he's asking you guys to fix something for this weird resolution that I probably was like an 80 inch TV. And he's like the menu element here, the text kind of overrides when I'm playing this on my 80 inch screen TV. And it's just like, who thinks of these things when you're developing the game? Well, yeah, you don't, is the short answer. Um, 
And it's been interesting because we've also had a few compliments from people going, oh, I'm really glad it supports extra wide monitors and stuff because like a lot of people are like, hey, it's 2020. Come on, get, why, why do games not support extra wide monitors? You know, And we're like, well, yeah, okay, yeah, it does. Um, but the... The the odd ones, uh, yeah, where it's something incredibly massive, like your your big TV, or somebody who's got like a a really really small screen, and I'm just like, why are you playing this on a really small screen? <laughs> you know, like because we'd always looked at it and be like, okay, your standard kind of you know whatever it is uh, uh, monitor, and uh, while we'd accounted for some stuff, we didn't kind of go through like a hundred different resolutions of, of things to try and account for it. And I think that that's something that uh, a bigger team has a better advantage for um, because they do have the time to be able to say, right, let's set up a massive number of devices or uh, have a test on all these different resolutions or whatever it is and have somebody that that's their job you know, to, to test all these different kind of edge cases. Um, but yeah, no, there's there's a lot of stuff where we look at it and we're just like, no, we have, we did not think of that, that people <laughs> would play in that particular format. Um, and yeah, we'd, we'd love to be able to say that uh, it's a it's a quick fix for some of those things, um, but it's not. Um, some of those things are, uh, some of them are, uh, but a lot of them aren't. And I think that if we can, if we can accommodate them, we will. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of stuff where it's okay. Do we effectively rewrite the entire UI to accommodate an 80-inch TV not having the right size text box on something? Um, and you know that same level of effort uh, being put into new content or into a new game uh, is a really hard uh, opportunity to to kind of balance off. Because you know, we, we obviously want as, as many of our players to experience it and be happy with it as they can, um, and that's you know, it's it's why we support as many languages as we do. It's why we are onto it as much as we can be. Uh, but yeah, there are definitely some edge cases where we're like, I would have to rewrite the game for this, uh, and that probably won't happen. It is something that we can take on board for the next game. Um, and I think that that's been a big learning uh, for us is that we can say, oh, well, people will play this on an 80-inch TV or a you know tiny 4x3 uh, <laughs> aspect ratio monitor. And you know we can look at that and go, okay, right, people are going to do this. Let's try and design with that in mind for the next thing. Um, yeah. And there's a limit to that. Uh, yeah. There's only so much you can do. <laughs> you know, homebrew uh, a Nintendo Switch and try and Steam Link it on there. See if everything <laughs> looks good. Yeah, there's, there's a bit of that. And I, I think that anytime you have to, you talk about a Switch or another device, whatever, you you almost need to say, right, let's redesign the UI. Um, you know, like some some of them, like you just can't. Like you just can't. Uh, you have to take a whole different type of interaction and uh understand that the player base is different as well you know people that play on a switch play on a switch differently than on a pc and you you just you have to make allowances for that yeah and it's funny you mentioned that and um so my gamezo is not my only job I'm also a crime fighter at night, but um, my, my day job is information security and I deal with tons of companies where it's that edge case and they're like, well, no, why can't you just do this one thing? And you have to explain that this platform that hundreds of large companies use in our instance um, was just not architected to do that. 
And unless yeah. you want us to break down a product that's been around for a decade and rebuild it, we just, we can't, sorry, we can't do that. And it's going to be, I think even for you guys, if you had a team of 20, it's not as easy as throwing on, you know, junior developer Ross to go fix that <laughs> issue. A lot of the time, sometimes it's just, sorry, it's not like built that way. Yeah. It's just, you can't do that. So, um, that's interesting. I I had a question. This is more of a, um, like, how does it feel question, but like, okay. So you mentioned really early on, everything's driving towards this launch day, right? Mm. All week of launch day, launch week, we get, we get a, we get to nail that. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about taking feedback and running with it and whatnot. What does it feel like the night before your game launches? Like, what's what is that? Do you, do you sleep? Do you like? What, <laughs> what do you? Not do? really. Um, <laughs> yeah. So the we launched. I think it was three p.m. New Zealand time. Uh, so that let us kind of be up and around and and respond. And, and developers, broadly speaking, keep kind of odd hours anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that let us kind of stay up and, and do things and, and respond as quickly as we could. Um, so yeah, in the lead up to launch though, because it was, yeah, it was in the middle of the afternoon. It's not like I'm launching at 9 PM on a Friday for, for us or anything. Uh, the, it made it, um, a bit easier because, uh, we could be around, um, and it was the middle of a day. Um, but I don't know, how does it feel? nervous uh probably crapping myself over the the amount of stuff that i knew wasn't done um you know we were we were making builds and adding stuff in you know right up into the lead up and and that was incredibly frustrating you know there was a lot of stuff that uh i thought would be done and you know it it sounds dumb but like I, i look back and i'm like it really we needed a week like and it's it's such a small amount of time but like if we had another week i think there was a bunch of little things that just would have been finished. And, uh, but, you know, we'd made a big song and dance about the, the deadline. Um, you know, we'd already pushed it out from, from last year. And, uh, <laughs> it's so funny, like this in the steam back end with like, you know, they have all these warnings, don't adjust your deadline. Uh, if, unless it's actually necessary. And, because they've had a lot of abuse in the system mm-hmm. of people kind of constantly pushing out their deadlines so they stay on the up-and-coming list or whatever. Um, so they got to the point where they were like, nah, if, if, you, if you do this, you know, like, we're going to penalize you for this if you, if you keep doing this. And we're like, uh, we don't really want Valve to be angry with us because we will just vanish. Yes. Um, so, you know, we, we'd, we'd said we had a deadline and, and we wanted to make sure we met it and... I think for us, that really just gave us impetus to all those little things. I say all, there was a few little things like, you know, some of the translations weren't finished and, you know, we had them finished the next day, you know, uh, but (laughs) it's like, you get a lot of players come in and like, why are the translations not finished? And it's just like, well, we're working as fast as we can with our translators. It'll be in like in 24 hours. Uh, And, but it doesn't matter, you know, like there's some players, it's just, it's not good enough. Um, that game is already refunded at that point. Yeah. There's well, already a negative review there. You're just like, yeah. well, we have it now. Come back. Yeah. And I even saw that in, in some of the reviews, like you had responded. And then there was a particular instance where someone responded like 10 hours later and they're like, oh, by the way, I refunded this already. Don't worry about it. 
Yeah, yeah, and and that's incredibly <laughs> frustrating. And the stupid thing is, you know, like I I look at that and I'm just like, hey, I will give you a free copy of this game. I I, I honestly I would just be like, look. Anybody that comes in and wants it in a different language, I'd be like, I will give you a free copy of this game because I want the feedback on the language. You know, like it's it's really hard, you know, when you're translating a game and as much as you put into quality control around, okay, well, you work with translators and, and you know, QA people or what have you, and, and you're like, hey, this is as good as going to get it, but hey, I, I don't speak Spanish. Hmm. I, you know, I don't speak Russian. I can't even recognize the characters in Russian. In Spanish, at least, I kind of go, that looks like an E. Um, mm. But the it makes a really big difference, I think, to to me to say, to have a player who plays the game whose English is not great or non-existent, uh, who then reviews the game in, in their language. And, and it's amazing Google translating some of this stuff and going, hey, I'm really glad it was in XYZ language. Um, and... You know, we want the feedback. We want people to say, hey, you missed a full stop here. Or, hey, in Chinese, this box isn't big enough. Can you make it bigger? Uh, you know, there's, there's only so much that we can do, and particularly when we don't speak any of these languages. Um, you know, it, it's very hard to get realistic feedback from players. So, you know, that, that instance where you're like, oh, no, I've already refunded it. Don't worry about it. I'm just like, well, we had the translations in, like, yeah, it was within like eight hours or something of, of seeing that. And uh, I, I literally would have gone back and said, look, have, have the game for free. Just tell me what you think of the translations now that they're in. Um, and, you know, there's been a bunch of cases where like we would have loved to, to have done that. Uh, but, you know, the response has been either non-existent or, you know, very actively hostile. Um, and that's that's kind of tricky to to deal with when you're you're trying to make it as accessible as you can <laughs> yeah. yeah and it's it's funny big in korea apparently big about it you guys are big in korea apparently yeah so we still don't have korean <laughs> <laughs> um, but we've we've got a few votes uh from from people on the discussion forums um and yeah that's the, i think that one's next on my list of i need to find a translator um but yeah, it, it, it costs money and uh, it uh, it takes time to, to get someone into it. So uh, if I can if I can swing it, I will. Like, I I would love to get Starport in pretty much as many languages as I can I can manage. Um, and I think we had we had one person who did a preview of it, which was um, kind of surprised. I think we launched with eight languages, and they were like, "Well, this is weird. Why is there an indie game with eight languages on it?" Um, you know, and you know, in, in retrospect, it's kind of one of those ones that maybe we would have been better off uh, launching only in English and adding languages later. But um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I mean that that is that is different. And um, what I, what I wanted to ask off of that is like, what is it like using a third party, like contracting out such a core component? Like you're not contracting out like. Sp- you have control of a lot of, of, of a lot of stuff. I don't want to make it sound like you guys con for our listeners. You didn't like contract out the game. You contracted out the translation component, right? Like, what is it like relying for something so important to you guys as part of the game, relying on this third party that you don't have control over? Um, it's different, I guess. You know, and it's it's different, I think, from some other stuff. You know, you talk about people who you contract to do some art for you or. 
music or whatever it is. And when it's something that you can understand and critique the result of, I think is very different. You know, if somebody gives you a piece of music and you're like, ah, I like this, I don't like this, can you please change this, whatever it is. Uh, but when it's something you've written and it's a translation, you let you rely on them to uh, translate uh, what you've done in a way that's going to make sense for for your audience in that language. Um, and it's, it's hard because you can't critique it, mm-hmm. you know, and... Uh, wherever possible, I've tried to have you know proofreaders or, or people to a, an extra person um, in each language as much as I can, uh, just to catch stuff like that. Um, and that's been a big recommendation that a lot of other developers have said to me um, is, even if you know your translator is amazing, uh, try and get a, a proofreader because you know sometimes there's just stuff that they'll just miss, you know, or it'll be an idiom that they've never heard of uh, that there's an equivalent in their language, but they don't necessarily think that that's what it is. And it's been really interesting going through and finding all the idioms and pop culture references and stuff and being like, ah, right. This is, I just didn't even think of that as a, as a thing. Um, you know, one of the, one of the, one of the most hilarious ones for that was, uh, oh, what was it? The, so one of the, one of the names of the mission is uh, teaching an old dog new tricks. Mm-hmm. Um, and, or new tricks for an old dog or something. It is, it's that, that idiom, uh, that, you know, and this doesn't translate very well, uh, to a lot of languages, but, um, oh no, I, that's what I was, the, the um, herding cats. So the, oh. exp- to, the expression herding cats, right. Uh, to means to do something incredibly hard, you know, like it, it's, it's almost impossible to, to do this. And, uh, in Polish, the equivalent expression is taking a hoe to the sun. <laughs> That's awesome. And, and I just thought this was amazing. I was just like, that is that is a fantastic idiom that we should totally adopt in English. Um, but, you know, go, going to try and farm the sun is the, the equivalent. And I, I was just like, that's so great. I think that for me encapsulates the difference between translation and localization. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, you could literally just translate your herding cats or you can localize and say, right, our equivalent idiom is this. And, you know, talking with the translators and I think this is where I get the reassurance from them where they do talk to me and say, hey, this is, this is what I've done. It's not literal. It's, it's more our own idiom and all that sort of stuff. Uh, I think gave me more reassurance when I was talking to them that what they were doing was, you know, localizing it for the audience in a way that, uh, I just never would be able to do. Yeah. So, yeah, it's. But on the whole, though, I, I think it's it's nervous uh, because you can't see it. You can't. Tr- you know, do not try and use Google Translate or any machine translation on anything. Like because some languages is okay. You know, you get kind of an idea, but other languages are horrible. Yeah. Like so, even if I wanted to use Google as a kind of safety check, I, it just wouldn't make any sense. Yeah, I, uh, I think about so, um, we have uh, in in the business I work in, we have a Japanese office and they deal with APAC and sometimes they'll mm-hmm. send my team questionnaires and all of them will be translated and localized except like one. And <laughs> so we'll, we'll have to like Google translate it and it's like something, something cheeseburger, you know, ICMP. And we're like, what? what? Like this doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And that's all I could think of was like, 
like you mentioned, you're yeah. using this third party for this big important thing, and like in the middle of a sentence, they could be like cheeseburger, cheeseburger, hot dog, and like you'd have no idea. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. So yeah, having having proofreaders where you can, I think, helps. Um, and other than that, it's just you just got to have faith and say these people are going to do a good job, uh, and hopefully the players will come back uh, when when you launch and say, hey, this you know I really enjoyed it in this language or whatever it is. Uh, so. You know, it was it was really funny. I had this this great review from someone that was like, "This game is great." Da, 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 that really really detailed about what they liked and what they didn't like, um, and it was all in Chinese. And I had to Google Translate it to try and work out what the hell they were saying. Um, <laughs> and you know, literally the only thing that was in English was, "This needs a Chinese localization." Um, and <laughs> and okay. the, but it was it was this fantastic review, like where they actually kind of they went into detail and had like this is what I like, this is what I don't like. And, and overall, they, they liked the game. Um, and I, I just had to laugh because I was like, I'd already had the Chinese translation kind of in the works. Um, and I knew it was coming. And I was like, okay, we're going we're gonna to have this this coming soon or what have you. And I didn't want to. And yeah, so I ended up being able to go back to them and say, yep, we've got you know Chinese uh, both simplified and traditional now, both in the game. And um you know, it's it's really fascinating. I think when you get players who have enough English to review it, uh, because the the core mechanics and stuff, you don't need you don't need much um, language at all, really. But the if you want to play through the campaign with a story and all the rest of it, so, or understand some of the the warnings or messages or what have you, then yeah, sure. Um, but yeah, it it's it's definitely this is quite quite a contrast to i i read a review i say read i google translated a review uh that was in korean and uh i'll tell you right now korean is one of those languages that google translate does not like <laughs> uh, or it just for whatever reason you know i you get like one word in five in terms of it making any kind of sense um out of the machine translated version uh and it was it's but it was the same thing. It was, it, you know, it was like this, don't like this. Uh, and eventually, why is this not in Korean? Um, and uh, it's it's kind of funny, you know, like I, I want to get it in, in as many languages as I can. But uh, yeah, it's about finding the right people and making sure I trust them to, to do a good job. And um, yeah, it, it's, it's definitely different. But, but fundamentally, though, I think it's just, yeah, talking to your translators and having faith that what they're doing is, is representing what you want. Yeah, no, no buying the uh, Fiverr basic package from some guy that's doing <laughs> translations for five dollars, right? <laughs> no, no, not not so much. Uh, and yeah, it, it it's it's funny. I had um, our our Russian translator uh, was was really interesting when he was first pitching to me about translating the game, and he said he he'd done his research and he he'd found some other New Zealand developers or something that had that had got translations into Russian for their games and and he was like look I don't I don't care if you use me or not but don't do what these guys did because all they did was machine translate their their blurb on the store into Russian and he gave me the equivalent like what it sounds like to a Russian person <laughs> and I was just I was just like oh god awesome <laughs> oh no <laughs> But uh, the flips. I mean, uh, the flip side for me was that I, I that gave me kind of a weird reassurance that he was taking it seriously and was looking at it and saying, "Look, even if you don't use me, don't do this." Um, and it, it made a big difference around how I felt about 
how seriously he took it. You know, it, it's like he wanted to make sure that it was right for a Russian audience, and and that was that was really interesting to me as an experience when I was uh, just starting to talk to translators. Yeah. Awesome, awesome, Ross. You have we're, we're coming up. We've almost done an hour and a half. This is yeah, this is awesome. So <laughs> I was I was about to say, are you are you? I mean, I'm, I'm sure we're pretty much all wrapped up for the most part. I mean, Dan, you probably have like one question. I have like one kind of basic question. Um, it's more about you sort of as a person. Um, sure. You're working full time, working on this game part time. Personally, I have days where I finish my eight hour workday and I can't put a bagel in a toaster. So it's like, what kind of drives you and what motivates you to just get home and I'm going to crank out this game for another five, six hours or whatever? As opposed to, man, I'm really just going to sit on the couch and eat bagel bites for like a little bit. <laughs> I love that I've lived in the U.S. and I know what bagel bites are. Um, <laughs> it's the only reason I said it. Yeah, the that's a tricky one. Um, I tend to divide the week up so that I can dedicate more of a day where I can. So rather than do a work day, then do another work day. Um, it it becomes a right today is game day or you know these two days a week are game days and you know my work affords me a degree of flexibility there that i can do that um at least to a certain degree um so you know i can take a half day uh on a friday and you know then spend the rest of it and do like a, a full day on games or or that sort of thing so uh Motivation wise, I think it's just, it's, it's, you want to create something, you know, and I've talked a little bit about this with a few other developers, you know, games are fundamentally about telling a story or creating something, communicating with your players. And, and this is true, whether you're making, you know, Final Fantasy or, you know, Candy Crush, it's a, it's a, it's a way of saying, right, the people that made this are trying to connect with you in some way, they're trying to tell you something. And if, even if what they want to tell you is I'm going to blow you up with a peach bomb, it's they're, they're trying to tell you something. You know, it's it's a drive to to communicate. It's a drive to create. And I think that even on days where I've put in uh, a long day doing my regular work, and I come to the end of it, and I'm like, you know what? No, I I, I want to keep going. Like there's a there's, don't get me wrong. There's there's other days where you're like, no, all I want to do is is sleep, uh, and I got two kids, so you know, sleep is for the week. Uh, but there's a yeah, it's it's just I don't know how to explain it other than it's just you 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 want to do something, you want to you want to create this thing, and uh, you know, there are some so many developers that I look at who have been making the same product for five, six, seven years, you know, and the, it's the, the greatest games never released, you know, and some of them are amazing. And I think that those games, when they get, when they do release them, uh, you can, you can really feel what they've put into them. You know, you can feel that they have spent this time crafting it and creating it and how they convey their passion for the the project uh to to their players you know and uh, i think probably one of the biggest examples of that 
and history for the indie scene was probably Phil Fish, right? Mm-hmm. Like you look at Fez. Um, and it was it was this game which kept winning awards and awards um, and hadn't been released yet, <laughs> you know. And it was years later, and that still hadn't released after it's like best game of five years ago, and it still hasn't been released, you know, or whatever it was. And but he he stuck to it, and he kept going, and had this amazing passion for it, and got it out the door, and and everybody loved it, you know. And it was it was one of those things that. I think you can really, regardless of anything else, after the fact, like you, you sit down and you play that game, you can you can feel how much he wanted to create it. And I think most indie developers are like that. They they sit down and they want to create. They want to do something. Uh, and it, as much as you know, we're all there to try and, uh, you know quit our day jobs and 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 make money making games you know and i say all not look at us (laughs) not everybody does but uh you know i'm i wouldn't be doing what i do as my day job if i didn't like it at this point like i still do um Mm. but i like making games probably a bit more and if i can transition to doing that more great and i think that that helps i think it's about motivating you into doing things that you want to do and games is one of those things you know i've i have never encountered another discipline that combines as much creative talent and for any game you have to have people who are amazingly creative at uh programming at art at sound and you know UI, even all the marketing stuff as well. I mean, I suck at marketing, but you know, I can appreciate how much work and creativity goes into it. You know, and but even even if you sit upside the selling of it, even just the core product, you know, like there's so much, so many different disciplines that have to come together, and whether that's done by one person or a hundred people, you know, there's a lot of different elements and. You know, film kind of comes close uh, with a lot of different stuff that goes into it, but the interactive element to it that you have to take into account and what that means for game design, uh, it just, it, there's so many creative disciplines that have to come together to get something out the door. And all of those creative minds and, and people, I think, is is really what drives any of those projects. You, you talk about, a, you know, who's the person who goes and does their regular day job and comes home and, and paints or, or writes music. You know, it's the same thing. They do it because they have a drive to create. And I think game developers are the same. You know, it's a lot of people don't look at games as much as a creative endeavor. They kind of look at it as, oh, you know, it's, it's you just sit around playing games all day. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, you know, like every single every single element of this has some creative drive, some creative aspect to it that has to be taken into account to make a game. And I think that's that's one of the biggest things that really attracts me to to game development. Yeah, I, I think you nailed a, a few things there that I, I well, I don't want to say nailed because it's you know, but the, you validated my opinions on some things, right? Which I, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I tell people all the time, I'm like, look you either want to do it or you don't, right? Either you have the drive to do it because it's important to you or you don't do it. And then the the other thing that you hit that I always, I laugh at, right? Which is you like your day job, but you kind of like making games more. I always discuss like, there's three jobs in the world I'd be happy to be doing. You know, I'm doing one of them. 
there's maybe one I would rather do and one I would rather be doing what I'm doing now. And I think that's an important thing for people to understand is that like, you know, if you're in a comfortable spot, don't rush, just understand that that's your next, like you would rather be doing that and work towards it. Um, yeah. But kind of Ross said like teed it up right with this question because you, you put a lot uh, in there, but I guess the last question that we'll hit you with, um, and you've been gracious with your time and, and we appreciate it um, for sure. Cause we had like 20 minutes okay. of us discussing beforehand <laughs> and you've done an hour and a half worth of podcast here. Um, but if, you had someone come up to you and say, um, and that will do it. I'm making, I'm trying to make my first indie game right now. If you had one piece of advice for me, right, you can see, the C, <laughs> you, you can see the C sharp and the unity programming books in the background. Did I set those <laughs> up for this? The reason you're here. Yeah. This is the main reason why you're here in this interview, by the way, because he wanted to ask you this. <laughs> I, I need the information I'm picking. Okay. Um, like if, but I have other friends and, and people that I know that they're always like, Oh, if I could just make the game, but it's like, what is the one piece of advice? And I think you've, given through some of the other questions a ton of really good advice for anybody who would want to get into making games but if you had like your like golden piece of advice for someone trying to make their own game what is that it it's hard right like i don't know if there's any one thing um i think for me personally one of the biggest pieces of advice i give is find someone else uh you know, we see this all the time. Like I, I help run the the local game dev meetup and here in Christchurch. And you know, one of the things we do is we have we have game jams, and you know, we have uh, you know people that come along and do guest speaking and that sort of stuff. And I think for me, as much as I th- have a lot of respect for the solo developer that kind of does their passion project, I know that. I would not have been able to make Starport by myself as it is. And I don't just mean that from a creative talent standpoint, don't get me wrong. Like I, I can try and hire people to, to do things that I don't have the ability to do. But I think fundamentally having a, a team of two uh, or three or five or whatever it is, but finding someone else has benefits you cannot predict. Uh, because you can bounce ideas off of each other and come up with something that neither of you would have come up with individually. You can ask them, Hey, have you encountered this problem before? And maybe they have, maybe they haven't, but you can work through it. Uh, you know, the designs and the critiques and, you know, we've gone through things on the game where, you know, we, we Ian's made a, a fantastic looking building and I look at it and I'm just like, it looks good, but it's not what we need. And, you know, then we have a discussion and we come through the other side and he does another one and it looks amazing. And I know that if he'd been doing it himself, he wouldn't have done that. He he would have iterated himself, but he wouldn't have got to the same point. Uh, you know, when we're talking about things like the music, you know, he's he's an amazing composer. Uh, Ian, Ian done some great music for the game and we've had a lot of compliments on, on the music. Um, and... It's, it's been, I, I, I kind of, I'm musical enough to be able to critique intelligently and that's helped drive stuff for that. And he's got absolutely enough programming chops to be able to say, Hey, why don't we do this or that for the technical side of things? And there's some of that stuff, which is just totally unpredictable. And you see it in game jams all the time. 
a team of three or four people that get thrown together for a weekend and they're like, okay, what's everybody doing? And uh, it doesn't matter what engine, doesn't matter what language, having somebody else that you can bounce off of is, is amazing. And even if you do want to do everything yourself, that finding someone else is a mentor. It's a, it's a, it's another developer who's in the same boat that's making a different product. You know, it's being able to find someone that you can talk to, whether that's a collaborator to really get that kind of synergistic approach to uh, making something, uh, or it's someone else that you kind of view of as a, uh, you know, a compatriot. You know, it's it's a yeah, having someone else, having having that community of people um to talk to about it and that team of people i think to really work on something together is is probably the best uh, i i wouldn't be able to make the same kind of games by myself and even if i was making it by myself i would be racing after as many people in our our community as i, I could to to get advice or to try and collaborate on parts of whatever it is you know and uh yeah i'm i'm very big on getting involved with other people uh, because as I said before, you know, like games take a, a huge variety of creative talents. And even if you are one of those amazing people that has all of those talents in, in one body, uh, I still firmly believe that you're not going to make as good a product, as good a game that can reach as many people uh, as the people that take those talents and combine them with the talents of other people. Awesome. I think that is excellent advice. I mean, I, I, you're the expert, not me, but it sounds, it sounds <laughs> like really good advice. So, um, yeah, you despite the fact that, uh, Starport's an unreal, you, you let me know if you've got some, some problems with C sharp, I can, I can help you out there. Awesome. I, I appreciate that. I'm, I'm a, uh, I did Java in college and I use Python in my daily life. Um, it hasn't yeah. been too difficult, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll see. But now I got a resource. See, Ross, this whole podcast, this whole ruse, this this was a facade <laughs> to, to get help. Um, but awesome. Um, we really appreciate the time. Um, I I think this is – I hope people listen to this because there's like great. tons of like just golden information in there that I think people just don't understand like what it takes to make a game, right? And I think – a lot. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like from the ups to the downs to the things you don't think about, I think you helped lay it all out. Um, and you were very honest and, and we appreciate that. Um, plug all your stuff, your socials, where people can buy the game. Like, <laughs> make, make um, yeah, I mean, stopwithdelta.com um, is the website. It's stopwithdelta on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. Uh, it's pretty much uh, where we're at. Uh, Cloudfire Studios is our little two man team. Um, yeah, we're all over the show as well. We're we're very Googleable, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. So uh, I don't think you need to try too hard to find us. I think. Hi, Google. This is going to sound weird, but can you plug someone else that you feel is worthy of plugging? Like maybe some like a colleague that you're working with that has something cool coming up, or anything that we should be paying attention to. Oh, what's you're going to get him in trouble. There's like 30 know, people right? probably hoping they get this plug right oh. now. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, that's tough. I mean, most of the people that I'm working with haven't released this stuff yet. Um, uh, don't break any NDAs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> I, 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 I may re- reserve that for, for okay. something later. But um, yeah, there's there's a lot of... 
I, I think probably what I will do is plug the, the NZGDA. So the New Zealand Game Developers Association. Um, New Zealand as a country, I mean, we were talking a little bit before the podcast about uh, us as a filming uh, location and, and what that's done for our industry here. But I think the games that are being developed in New Zealand are amazing. Um, and going to the NZGDA's website, nzgda.com, um, going to their website and looking at all the studios, all the developers, and the various games and things that they have uh, in either out or in the works or whatever. Like there's some amazingly talented people here. And from a game development standpoint, it's, it's a country to, to keep an eye on. Hmm. That's awesome. Great. Yeah. So now I'll, now I'll do all the plugs for us. So you've got, yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'm bitwise Dan. You can, if you're already here listening, you, you know, just follow me. Ross is rain. <laughs> Our success. Gamezo is Gamezo. GG on Twitter and gamezo.co.uk is the website where you can read all the stuff where wherever podcasts are. So if you're watching and you want to go back and listen to some gems, um, some some nice little pieces of wisdom and information, you can find us anywhere. Um, and other than that, we're back next Sunday-ish. Yeah. And uh, we'll we'll do more stuff. So we appreciate the time. Um, we you know I can I hope that people continue to give you guys feedback. I hope you continue to build the game. Um, as I mentioned, go look at the review that I did. And speaking of reviews, you too can review this podcast. Give it five oh, stars, like, do follow, do all that <laughs> stuff. So I appreciate it. Thank you, everybody. I'm gonna stop the podcast.